Today's New Testament reading is the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. For today's meditation on God's word, we welcome Pastor Timothy Cook. Jesus was invited to the wedding. That's what we're told in John 2, verse 2. It reads, Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And then we're told that the wine ran out. It'd be like getting invited over to someone's home for a ham dinner, only for the host to inform you that they don't have any ham. Someone has dropped the ball. Guests were invited to a wedding, but there aren't enough resources to entertain the guests. As far as crises go, this isn't the most traumatic. A planning oversight for a wedding reception is hardly as traumatic as a cancer diagnosis, or a house fire, or even the loss of one's job. But it is a problem nevertheless, and Jesus is there when it happens. When Jesus' mother makes him aware of the lack of wine, Jesus replies, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. To our ears, Jesus' reply seems calloused and uncaring. Jesus sounds like a man who can't be bothered with trivial matters. I suppose if this were the way God answered our prayers, we'd likely never talk to him again. But don't let the unexpected tone distract you from Christ's words and subsequent actions. Jesus alludes to an hour. He says that his hour has not yet come. The hour to which Jesus refers is the hour of his suffering and death. This is why Jesus, the word, has become flesh. He has come for that hour for that purpose, where he takes on our sins and failures and griefs and sorrows and kills them with his own death on the cross. If your kitchen sink is clogged and you call a plumber to your home to fix it, when the plumber arrives, you don't put a paintbrush in his hand and ask him to touch up your faded front door, though he's certainly capable of doing so. That's not why he's there. Similarly, our lives are clogged with sin, and the Lord has promised us a plumber, so to speak. He has promised us a Savior who will free us from the stench of sin. 
Jesus is certainly capable of furnishing wine to those who have run out, but that's not why he left the glories of heaven to come to earth. Jesus, we are told, is the Lord of grace, and his grace overflows. It's grace upon grace, as John 1.16 says, and so Jesus does both. He meets the temporal needs of the wedding party while keeping his hour of suffering and death front and center. Jesus was invited to a wedding to be served, but before he left, Jesus was the one who did the serving by turning a whole bunch of water into a whole bunch of wine. How does this service by Jesus keep his hour of suffering and death front and center? This sign of water into wine foreshadows the righteousness that we poor sinners are credited because of Jesus' merits. When Jesus turns the water into wine, who gets the credit? It wasn't Jesus. It was the groom. John 2, 9-10 says, When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves a good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Of course, the groom did no such thing. He didn't keep the good wine till last. He ran out of what wine he had, and it was apparently of poor quality at that. And yet, the intervening work and service of Jesus Christ is indeed credited to the groom. When Jesus' hour of suffering and death finally comes, he dies on the cross and takes his life up again. Jesus pays for the sins of the world. Jesus atones for our failures. And yet, solely because of Christ's work, we are the ones who receive the credit. Jesus' work on the cross is our righteousness. It is to us that our Father in heaven says, Well done, good and faithful servant. The wine that Jesus provided to the bride and groom was not hoarded or treasured. It was shared and enjoyed by others. So it is with the righteousness of Christ that is credited to us. We don't hoard it. That's not a light that we put under a bushel basket. We let it shine before men that they may see our good works and so glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen.